0: Today, on The Courier Daily.
1: You think about kind of the phrases that we're constantly hearing, like, we're stronger together, these trying times, home is so important, unprecedented circumstances, and then there's all these words that have kind of cropped up, like, furlough, social distancing, When you start using these phrases, the repetition kind of means that they lose meaning and you kind of start to tune out. It's kind of similar to when like travel brands describe everything as like nestled in the hills or like crystal clear water. And you kind of don't believe it because it's what everyone says. So as a brand, you need to use your tone of voice to say things that only you would say.
0: Next, we head to San Francisco.
2: You know, if you think about it, startups almost by definition are in existential crisis at all moments, right? Because being a startup, you're challenging the way things work. Usually you're not yet a going concern. You're not making profits. And so to use the great uh, Paul Graham quote, you're your default debt, right? If things don't change, your business will go away.
0: And a bit later in the show, we check in with the owner of Courier's local cafe.
3: It's very easy to sort of cast aspersions upon your landlord as being someone you shouldn't pay rent to but that landlord's got their own commitments they've got their own debt facilities they've got their own staff their payroll their own things going on there and their enterprises and i think therefore it's this kind of slightly ut- you know, utopian view that like we just shouldn't be paying rent is is something i don't think that is correct but equally the other side of the fence it is not acceptable for landlords to expect operators at this time to suddenly continue with. You know, as if the world
0: is normal i'm daniel giacopelli it's the 8th of april and this is the new daily podcast from courier all about how businesses are adapting pivoting and surviving we start today's show in san francisco to hear from sam hodges the ceo of vouch a business insurance company for startups sam was previously the co-founder of funding circle us the lending platform And Sam, you've been at the helm of a company in previous tough times, including the recession back in 2008, and uh, you just wrote a great piece on LinkedIn with some lessons and advice for other founders on running a company in a crisis. Your first point was to never forget that your business context can change almost overnight, right?
2: Absolutely. Well, we all operate in an extremely dynamic environment, right? There are competitive shifts, there are macroeconomic shifts, there are sometimes regulatory shifts, And anytime there's a major change in the context in your operating, I think the first critical thing as an entrepreneur, or frankly, a leader of any organization, is just to be really honest in your appraisal of how that change is going to impact your company. One thing that I've been consistently surprised by is just the number of people who are willing to self-deceive or, frankly, ostrich, you know, put their head in the sand and pretend things are going to go away or get better. And I think that self-deception can be very dangerous. Moreover, frankly... Not taking action is, in its own right, an action and oftentimes not the right one. I would say to start with an honest appraisal.
0: What about number two, managing your team? Well,
2: managing people through change is really the art, I think, of being a startup leader. You know, if you think about it, startups almost by definition are in existential crisis at all moments, right? Because being a startup, you're challenging the way things work usually you're not yet a going concern, you're not making profits. And so to use the great uh, Paul Graham quote, you're your default debt, right? If things don't change, your business will go away. And so I think as a leader managing your team through, you know, frankly, any hard moment in a startup, but particularly an external crisis like COVID-19, it's really about getting that balance right between a narrative of change, what needs to change in order for this business to work and for it to be going concern, and for all the effort you and your team are pouring into it to, to actually pay off and have the impact on the world you want, while at the same time, also staying calm and keeping people focused and not having too much perceived psychological risk. It's very difficult for most people to operate if they think they're likely to lose their jobs or if the business they're working on is going to go away tomorrow. And so, again, your job as a leader is to help people manage through that period and drive the change you need to drive while at the same time you know, keeping people you know, calm and focused.
0: You wrote that one of the biggest mistakes you made as a leader was being too outwardly positive when things weren't going well. Why is that?
2: One of my first mistakes when I became a general manager in my last company and was overseeing a pretty large team was honestly being too positive when things weren't going right. And for the team, that made me come across as either naive and overly optimistic or, frankly, as a liar. And... Those Neither of those are characteristics of good leaders. And so again, I think this comes back to this notion of being really honest in your appraisal and sharing a view as to how a, a change or a difficult moment is going to impact your company, but also being really clear about what you're doing to address the, the change um, and opportunity And also why you are going to be confident that things can and will get better and why you're going to to get through it. I do think there's a lot to be said for keeping moving. And there's also a lot to be said with balancing in the moment, addressing and being honest about the difficult thing, while at the same time showing optimism around the future. Because, again, I think as an entrepreneur, frankly, as any leader, you do need to be optimistic and positive and paint a picture for how you're going to succeed on the other end of something
0: you also write about wellness and mental health and maintaining your focus i mean in the best of times the tech world is quite focused on sleep hacks and meditation and mindfulness and it's kind of a it's become a cliche right do you think in this new working from home environment we're going to double down on that or we'll become just work animals where we never have a separation between work and life
2: Well, so I'd start by saying different people in different companies are wired uh, differently with respect to social isolation and working from home. I can say personally, I prefer being in an office and around people. I find that to be very energizing, and so I find working from home to be harder, both because personally, it's more less comfortable, but also frankly, it just means that I'm further away from a lot of the details of the business that I enjoy being close to. So I do think, again, anytime there is a substantial change, one of the really important things as as a leader is to be very centered and to make sure that you continue to maintain the disciplines that keep you centered. I do think the whole kind of startup focus on mindfulness perhaps jumped the shark a little bit, got, got a little bit too uh, too overblown. At the same time, I, I don't really know any effective leaders who've been doing it for a long period of time who don't themselves have some meditative practices. And what those practices are vary, right? Some people it's doing yoga and and meditation retreats. For me personally, it's exercise outside and cooking. I mean, those are things where I can really get into a flow state, and you know, my my brain, you know, kind of gets into a calm moment. And that really helps me, you know, when I do have to kind of refocus on uh, on harder things and, and be, you know, there with a lot of energy, um, I do think that that balance is important.
0: You talk about, you know, having a sounding board, some friends or colleagues to talk to, I mean, have their ears open. Why is that especially important in a time like this?
2: Well, a couple things. One is, I, I just think that being able to express out loud what's going on and being honest is, is critically important. And so having a group of people who you trust and who are similarly situated to you, I think it's really valuable. A member of YPO, I have been for for four or five years. My YPO forum is very effective in this manner. Moreover, I've got a number of investors and friends around the business who I trust and who I can be open with in, in terms of what's working and what's not. And you know that ability, I think, is really uh, freeing um, because it allows you to actually get out on the table things that, that you're, you're working through. Also, frankly, oftentimes it gives you really good kind of tactical perspective. How are other people going through a difficult moment? And might there be things you can glean from that? You know, either uh, risks that you weren't anticipating and that you can pre-mitigate, or frankly, just tactics that help you go through things more successfully.
0: You're sitting in San Francisco right now. What's the general, and I know it's hard to generalize things, but what's the general, you know, Silicon Valley slash Bay Area view of this crisis? Is it something that just smart founders will be able to push their way through and t- two years from now everything will be just fine? Or is this the big one and it's going to you know change startups forever? What's your take on that?
2: I would start by saying I don't think that people using technology to solve important problems in the world that that trend is going away. Nor do I believe that the trend of software eating the world is going to go away. In fact, I actually think this whole you know, shelter in place and work from home moment is going to accelerate the adoption of digital technologies in a lot of sectors that have been more resistant. More of a, this is a moment where there's potential for incredible regulatory change. And you've already seen, frankly, a good bit of regulatory change um, in a variety of different sectors. And so while on the one hand, this, I think, is a very deeply unsettling period that will hit hard companies that are very capital consumptive or over levered or in sectors that directly have been impacted. So hospitality, retailing, et cetera, those startups are gonna be in a difficult spot. Certainly, if you need to raise money in the near term, the financing market has already changed pretty substantially and will change for a period of time. At the same time, there are lots of businesses, you know, uh, software companies that support uh, remote work, for example, analytics software companies who are actually helping us manage through this pandemic itself, where if anything, they're gonna perform better, right? This is gonna be counter-cyclical for them and, and those businesses are getting a lot of funding. I mean, you've seen a number of those uh, those financings happen just over the last several weeks. So I'm an optimist. I believe in the power of entrepreneurship. I don't think some of the technology-driven trends around the, the venture ecosystem, any of that is going to change substantially. I do think there will be winners and losers. And I also think that 2020 is going to be a harder year for startups than we've had in the last decade. You know, the same thing happened, uh, you know, in 2008 and 2009, which I remember well, I was first at a venture fund and then actually in an operating role at a venture-backed startup during that period. You know, here we are 12 years later and startups are still a thing and the valuations and and financing cycles change, but uh, I don't think entrepreneurship is going away anytime soon.
0: Next up, in a time when every business on the planet is probably sending more email and messages than ever before, how can they keep their tone of voice consistent, appropriate, and above all, not tone deaf? Well, I'm here with Emily Ames and Kate Hamilton, the co-founders of Sonder & Tell, a content and communications agency. And you guys have come up with five steps for founders to follow. Emily, what's number one?
1: It might sound quite obvious, but I think the first point is using your own tone of voice so if you're usually witty eccentric or cheerful then be that it's now's not the time to kind of adopt this like doom and gloom voice it's kind of like if um your mum started speaking like the prime minister and your family whatsapp chat it would be really unnerving and kind of unfamiliar so If you have tone of voice guidelines, now is the time to get them out. So a concept or a list of words that you use to guide your communications. And you really have to try to embody that personality, not your own kind of views and thoughts of Corona. So think about how that person, your brand would approach Corona and keep your voice consistent. So just a really quick example of that. We loved when Quo Vadis, who's this kind of they've got a very British, eccentric, cheerful tone of voice. And they wrote before everything went into lockdown, they kind of said, please go at it with the same enthusiasm that you show for your Negronis. And that kind of made us feel like Quo Vadis was an old friend and kind of keep staying with us during these times.
0: Kate, number two is uh, involving helpfulness, right? Be helpful.
4: Yes, exactly. Be helpful is rule number two. So we've seen lots of brands pivot and kind of improvise on their product to be helpful things like louis vuitton making hand sanitizer but there's also ways in which you can be helpful with your tone of voice so consider how you can sort of be of service to customers at this time so if you're entertaining then why don't you be that instagram account that's giving everyone a bit of light relief. Innocent smoothies, I know everyone always talks about them in terms of tone of voice, but they're writing cute little poems every week, which aren't making light of the situation, but they are making people smile. Or if you're usually a caring brand, then think carefully about how you can offer reassurance or reinforce important messages. I know Netflix are doing a lot in terms of telling people to stay home. So they've done the spoilers campaign where they putting the ends to people's favorite shows like Stranger Things on these big billboards and telling people stay home if you don't want your shows ruined. And also, if you're always optimistic, then you can use your voice to deliver good news and positive updates. So basically think about how you can add value to the conversation and use it wisely because we don't just need another brand telling us to stay calm. What's number three, Emily? So
1: this is a tip that we usually say kind of all through the year, and it's not just really for Corona, but it's watching cliches and jargon and kind of creating your own vocabulary. So for Corona, if you think about kind of the phrases that we're constantly hearing, like we're stronger together, these trying times home is so important, unprecedented circumstances. And then there's all these words that have kind of cropped up, like furlough, social distancing. When you start using these phrases, the repetition kind of means that they lose meaning and you kind of start to tune out. It's kind of similar to when like travel brands describe everything as like nestled in the hills or like crystal clear water. And you kind of don't believe it because it's what everyone says. So as a brand, you need to use your tone of voice to say things that only you would say and have your own vocabulary that your audience will understand a quick tip for kind of putting that into practice just like write down all the words and phrases that companies are using at the moment and come up with your own way of saying it so how would your tone of voice how would you use your voice to say it
0: Are you guys both sick of emails that start with like, I hope you're keeping well in such trying times? And there's like 30,000 variations of like, are you sick or not?
1: Exactly. And the ones that have, that really know their tone of voice, they really stand out at this time. And it's what people
4: will engage with and remember. So don't do it.
0: (laughs) What's number four, Kate?
4: number four is speak to your audience and again i think all of these tips really apply to all of the time but they just come into high relief at times like this so your tone of voice should always be engaging with your audience use the language style colloquialisms that are going to cut through with them so get into the headspace of your customers try and imagine what they're feeling and use your tone of voice to engage with that so again think about the conversations they're going to be having every day if you're a children's brand for example then chances are that right now you're speaking to parents who Are juggling childcare with trying to teach their kids with their actual jobs. So empathize with them, show them you understand, and say things succinctly. I know there's been a bit of a backlash, for example, over using terms like homeschooling, when really parents that have kids right now aren't exactly homeschooling. They're sort of doing their best to parent and work in a global pandemic. Think about things like that. A long winded ramble about sort of mindfulness to someone like that right now might not be the best use of your tone of voice.
0: And finally, Emily, the last one seems pretty useful for all times. It's about telling stories, right?
1: At this time particularly, but like we wish all brands did this at all times, but use your voice to tell stories rather than directly sell. And like we know that brands need to sell right now, like we've seen people say dress up at home, all those kind of messages that are trying to convince people to buy at the moment. And we know that's necessary. But there is also a way to tell more meaningful stories that will kind of last beyond this. So for example, if you're a heritage brand, then it's using your voice to maybe talk about like the role you've played in your customer customer's lives up until now. And maybe that would even convince them to purchase something for later. If you're like a swimwear brand, for example, and no one's going on holiday, then maybe it's about talking about your process, how your clothes are made, and kind of convincing them that those clothes will last longer than this summer. I think also it's a really good time to kind of hero the people within your brand. So whether that's founders or the employees, cause it kind of pulls on the heartstrings of people that are going through it themselves. And it's okay to be a bit vulnerable and say, look, we're struggling with this. We'd love if you support us. And I think just as a general point, if you can engage them with stories, they'll remember you after this, like once it's all over and might even support you through this period.
0: And finally, just before we go, just around the corner from Courier's London office in the East London neighborhood of Spitalfields is Watch House, a great little cafe and one of five locations across central London. All of them, of course, are now closed at the moment, but I thought we'd check in with Watch House's CEO and founder, Roland Horn, to see what the company's doing to stay afloat.
3: The game changer really for us, for them to all be either laid off indefinitely or or to go off and go home or whatever it might be to ensure that they've got their caps as, as in, a, in a position is obviously not ideal. We actually, before the Chancellor did announce the furloughing of staff, we put in place what we call Project Pool, which is which was effectively a 25% salary sacrifice for our senior member of team to be able to ensure that the members of staff who are hourly and, and work on a more part-time, casual basis would be in a position to to be continued. So we, ca- we had 100% and we still have 100% staff retention within our business but the game changer really was the furloughing of staff the other tips I would say really at this time is batten down the hatches right like it's important to look after landlords I don't think personally from our perspective it's fair for people to it's very easy to sort of cast aspersions upon your landlord as being someone you shouldn't pay rent to but that landlord's got their own commitments they've got their own debt facilities they've got their own staff their payroll their own things going on there and their enterprises and I think therefore it's this kind of slightly utopian view that like we just shouldn't be paying rent is, is something I don't think that is correct. But equally the other side of the fence, it is not acceptable for landlords to expect operators at this time to suddenly continue with you know, as if the world is normal. You know, the pain should be shared as much as possible. So I would definitely say a tip is to work with your landlords and suppliers, um, you know, your counterparties to ensure that everybody does feel that pain and works together two main things I would say is look after your staff they are so important both for them now but also for your business once this ends because it will end and it's already I think starting to see some sort of grassroots recovery now and certainly in certain parts of the world and even in the UK I think you're starting to see people starting to look and say right well you know we've got bad times ahead of us but actually we're starting to become more used to this regime and the second thing as I say is to work with your key counterparties to ensure that you are mitigating and your financial position to ensure that you are backing down the hatches, but you're doing it in a respectful way, which means that once you reopen, you know, the hatches, that you're not gonna be opening up to a very aggressive supplier or, or landlord. You know, you, you, you need to work with people.
0: And that's it for today's show. Get in touch with any thoughts, stories, or feedback. You can reach me at daniel at couriermedia.co. And as ever, Make sure you also sign up to Courier Weekly, our email newsletter, for more stories of pivoting, adapting, surviving, and growing. Head to couriermedia.co slash sign up to subscribe. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. The Courier Daily is back again tomorrow.